0: Hi, friends. Before we get started today, I want to talk about book bans. Book bans are nothing new. They've been part of America's narrative for about as long as our country has existed. But just in the first half of this year, nearly 2,000 unique titles were challenged, which was the highest in over 20 years. That's why the folks over at Brooklyn Public Library launched a new podcast series called Borrowed and Banned, they want to help you understand how and why books are being removed from the library shelves across the country and what you can do about it over seven episodes they'll talk to the students teachers and librarians on the front lines and the writers whose books have become political battleground you can subscribe to borrowed and banned wherever you find your podcast and I personally have to say that Brooklyn Public Library's Borrowed podcast is one of my absolute favorites, and this series, Borrowed and Banned, is extremely important, and I think anyone who is listening to this podcast or reading any books ever needs to listen to Borrowed and Banned. Uh, check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to "Debut Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Daybeautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a writer, artist, and educator with a degree in English from Emory University in Atlanta and an MFA from the City University of New York Brooklyn College. Originally from Hartford, Connecticut, he has worked many years as a basketball coach, substitute teacher, dean of students, and English teacher within the New York City Department of Education and on Martha's Vineyard in the Martha Vineyards Regional High School and Martha's Vineyard Public Charter School. His debut novel, Wings of Red, is out now. Please welcome James W. Jennings. Hey, James. How are you doing today?
1: I'm a mix of emotions. I had quite a roller coaster this morning. Today is pub day. Yes, and I I had a nightmare that 46 people bought wings, and uh, <laughs> but everyone else was chill about it. And I was like, "No, we have to. We got to go. <laughs> like this is go mode." Yes. Uh, so yeah, a lot right. of emotions, definitely,
0: and it. I have mentioned this a few times on the podcast. I usually talk to people way before publication or like the week before or sometimes after, but never on publication day. Uh, so I'm ex- I'm honored that you're spending time with me on this like momentous occasion. Uh,
1: and, My pleasure.
0: Yeah. And Wings of Red, your debut. Uh, tell readers a little bit about it.
1: Wings of Red is called autofiction. This is, a term that I never heard of, but once my editor, Mensa explained it to me, it's exactly the kind of literature that I gravitated towards naturally anyways. So I would read some fiction, whether it be Toni Morrison or Paulo Coelho or Hemingway, and then I would read their biographies some years later and realize that the fiction was closer to the truth than the biography, in terms of, you know, who was communicating what and what was of importance and what wasn't. And so auto fiction fits in, into that kind of lane where the story itself is trying to get out a deeper truth and it a lot of it is actually reality. So my my work is way closer to wings is way closer to reality than most writers would be comfortable uh doing, but that's that's what it I, for some reason, I had an intuition that I had to tell my story, and then the, also there's characters in there that are no longer here, and that's been a kind of theme in my life is memorializing people in moments which wouldn't j- necessarily penetrate popular culture, but I knew was important or, you know, morbidly wouldn't survive, and I knew had to carry on in some way.
0: hmm uh, you mentioned that this is closer to your truth than most writers would be comfortable. I'll read a little bit about like the book's description. Uh, June Papers is the 28-year-old MFA grad with a felony record. Quote the classic young black and gifted American misfit. He's also a substitute teacher. He's also homeless. So how much of June Papers is James W. Jennings? In that. Oh, sentence, that's all. Of, you
1: know? Yeah, all of that checked all the boxes there's more I kept it out though
0: <laughs> yeah for sure so yeah.
1: um when you started
0: writing uh when did you start writing how did it become a passion of yours
1: so my this is a long story yeah. but I'll make it as short as possible
0: do it as long as I you grew
1: want up, okay so okay. I grew up on a, a street called Love Lane in the north end of Hartford Connecticut that's where I spent my early developmental years And I didn't know it at the time. To me, it was one of the greatest places in the world. We could, you know, my grandmother did a lot of the raising for me and my other grandmother lived across the street. I still remember being like a little look both ways and just like actually learning to look both ways before I crossed the street into my other grandmother's wonderland. And, you know, to have two grandmothers love. As a a kid and friend, my Timothy, my best friend, he lived next door. And then Michael and Keto and Damien, all of my friends, it was a community, you know. And to me, it was just so much fun. There would be things that popped up where I was like, oh, that's it was a pretty violent place in terms of like fights, but not too many shootings and stuff like that. But of course, I was born in 1981. So those formative years were in. In the 80s and crack uh the the first pandemic came in. And it's hard to describe now looking back how uh impactful that was on my life. But it really it really changed a lot of things, and so um I had to figure out as I was discovering who i was i had to also discover where i came from and it turns out it was a very violent place it was it's one of the 20 worst places in the united states it's a federally designated uh they call it a promise zone or something zone where they Mm -hmm. throw millions of dollars to try to get the literacy rate up because it's one of the lowest literacy rates in the country or in poverty and all, all, all the bad boxes that you could check, it, it checks them. But for me, growing up, I I, I loved it, you know. And when we moved, my grandmother realized that it was becoming too violent and we had to get out of there. So yeah. that started us moving and then we ended up being homeless here and there. And, you know, everything just kind of fell apart at that point. But we still had a kind of a core um ethos which was like no matter how rough it gets be a good person you know as Bearpaw said when you take make sure to give back you know so i just learned about character at a very early age um i don't even know if i answered your question but i had to
0: you know i think that's important to understand um uh, and then getting like more into like your upbringing with like the writing did you, were your did your grandmas push like hey you got to read you got to learn to write was that part of like your that upbringing or did you learn that later? I'm glad. So
1: thank you. So the literature aspect, I remember the moment my grandmother forced me to read. It was we'd moved, we were in Newington, Connecticut. It was me. My best friend, Timothy, I think he was staying with us at the time. And my cousin, Michael, we were like the three, the three amigos. Yeah, yeah. And she, I think this was seventh or eighth grade. And she forced us all to read for, I remember the day when she forced us to read because I, Timothy didn't mind. He just got, went, went and read. Michael fought it. I I fought it because I didn't really want to read at all. Like it was the last thing I wanted to do. And I read a book called Maniac McGee and Mm -hmm. Joseph Spinelli and it changed my life. It was about a white kid who grew up on the other side of the track. So he was culturally black and he wasn't accepted in either really, but he was magical. And uh, that for that hour, I realized, okay, there's something here for me. Um, And it's, bizarre because Michael and Timothy they're no longer here and mm-hmm. and so there's there's something there that's so rich but I don't necessarily have the tools yet to you know get inside of it and figure out what it is but I remember reading became a big thing and then writing was just a way of getting good grades I knew if I got good grades my grandmother would be happy and I always wanted to make her happy and proud and she's just such a sweet amazing person but uh so the writing i never really took that serious until timothy transitioned because he taught me how to be an artist like uh, painting and writing and everything Mm -hmm. but he was so good i never thought i could come anywhere near uh his level so writing gave me a way of being a creative and coming somewhat near his level uh I, I still don't know if I'm there, but it gave me a way to express myself where I felt wholeheartedly. I was communicating something that was of value. I knew it was it was important. I knew when when my people read these stories, they're going to see that we were here, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the literature came. Yeah, the writing came a little
0: afterwards. Yeah, I'll get there. I, I love that you bring up Maniac McGee. Uh Because of this, I is also one of my favorite books from when I was a kid. And you and I, yeah, yeah. And you and I had (laughs) what fairly different upbringings, um, you know? But the fact that you and I both connected with the same book is why I do what I do and you do what you do because literature can change lives and shape lives no matter who you are. Uh, Yeah, I just find it amazing that you brought up like my favorite book from a kid. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's wild.
1: Yeah, Yeah. It's one of those books too, where you, it's it's telling that we're talking about Maniac McGee right Man. now because it's a book that you don't have to like literature to yes. to read it, it yeah. you know. And that's kind of I write I write for those types of people who, uh, you know, there. Yeah. I I read a review this morning. I made the mistake of like checking Goodreads, and someone wrote they gave me like a three star, and they wrote like, uh. No, interesting, but I wouldn't read again. And I'm thinking, like, first I'm just hurt. And then I'm thinking, that's what you take away from someone's life's work that's actually communicating to you at a heart level is interesting, but you wouldn't read it. Like, you know, so I'm I'm not writing for that type of reader. Uh, It's more for people who don't necessarily read and who I'm around that I love. I'm like, I'm trying to convince them that reading is, is something that is of value because of what it does to your uh, imaginary muscles, you know?
0: Yeah, and one thing about uh, your book is like the narrative style. The It's like, it feels like you're talking. Like, I know it's a character, but it, it feels very much like if I or you were telling a story, it just has this rhythm of honesty and like your voice. Um, is that just something? Be- yeah, is that because you just want to make sure kids who don't read can connect to it or adults who don't like to read can connect to it?
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. Uh, But I think to give proper credit to that, I have to go back to my grandmother, Mm -hmm. my other grandmother, the people I was around. Um, I've told this story many times with my students and, but when my grandmother told the story, It was as if it didn't matter who was in the room. It didn't matter if you're black, white, rich, poor, like when she told the story, everyone who was in the space felt her connection. So, and at, at first I thought, well, she's really good at telling stories. And then I realized after, you know, actually processing her life and what she meant to people that she really cared. So it wasn't that she was really good. She was good at telling stories, right? But mm-hmm. she was more concerned with you understanding and connecting at a heart level what she was saying. So it felt yeah. like she was talking to everyone in the room because she was, she would take the time to think, how can I connect it to this person? How can I connect it to this person? She would always try to meet you where you were. So that's really where it comes from. So my my style is an evolution of just trying to communicate from a heart space to another heart space. It's, it's weird because now metaphysical stuff is all popular to the point where it's almost cliche, but 13 years ago, if you were talking about heart to heart connections, it, it, it would just, it'd be weird. So yeah. yeah, it's coming from a place of of intuitively knowing that if you care, if you're a lover you want to actually meet people where they are. You try to speak their language. It's it's very simple. It's like if you live uh, on a border in Texas, you're gonna speak Spanish if you if you if you care. Like yeah. if you don't, you know, feel free to do what you do. But the the style in and of itself came from storytellers. So just a deep rich history i i think that's one of my greatest inheritances is the storytellers i was around Mm. Um, not for the craft though for the for the concern and then also once i got into the craft it was very important for me to once i wrote something i needed to read it aloud i needed to listen i needed to record myself Mm. and then listen to it so It could, if I I listened to it and if, you know, 20 paragraphs in, it started to feel like it wasn't a story worth telling, I would have to figure out how to make it more storytelling than anything. I'm not really concerned with, like, the hero's journey and, you know, I, I am still, I wish I could do better character development at this point, but there's some stories that are more important than the characters, that's what I feel, so... That's that's the style.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned you want to be better. And, and, and Wings of Red is brilliant. I I truly loved it. And I think the beautiful thing I can't wait to watch in your career is how how much you'll learn and how much you'll grow and how much you'll change. Because Wings of Red, and I mean this in the best possible way, was raw. It felt like this was a story you had to tell and you didn't care about. Yeah, like you said you didn't care about x y and z, you didn't care if it would be published or if it would be um bingeable by every single person, but it's like so honest and it feels that way on every single page. Um exactly. yeah, and 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 your your grandmas the storytellers, did they I mean did you ever think you were going to get go to college in Atlanta, you can get an MFA in New York City. Like, how did, did, did they put you on an education path? Did you always know grades will get me out of whatever situation you were in?
1: My grandmother, she... She just always reinforced education. I'm sorry, but. No, I I take your time. It's an emotional day. Mm -hmm. So I went to college as a backup plan. I didn't think I would live past 27. I didn't care to live past 27. And I'm a nerd, right? So coming Mm -hmm. from what I come from. But my grandmother told me, uh, I would say, in my 30s she had a heart to heart with me and she said actually it wasn't even with me she told uh I, my aunt or someone who I was around so I, I heard it and she said if if I didn't move if we didn't move from Hartford James would have became one of the biggest drug dealers in the northeast so i had to do a lot to just be a good person and to not just feed people poison. So part of my storytelling is that it's healthy for people, you know, so you put wings up against any other literary work. That's not as willing to go towards the truth as that. And I think it's healthier, like it's healthier to know, one self. It's healthier to know one story. Even if it's not yours, you relate to it more than just say, you know, escapism or something like that. So it's it it's really it becomes very emotional for me to remember all of what went into Wings, mm-hmm. especially with my grandmother um convincing me to. Somehow she just, she drilled education enough where I said, okay, I'll go to college as a backup plan and I know it'll make Nana happy. And even going to Brooklyn College, I was at a creative writing workshop called Callaloo, which uh, I lucked up on again because Jim Grimsley Read my work and he was my teacher at Emory and he said, James, you have talent. You got to work on it. Like there's this opportunity. I'm going to get you published in this thing. I said, oh, that's fantastic. He tried. They decided not to publish my work, but they offered me a spot at uh, in their creative writing workshops, which was a two week intensive thing in College Station, Texas, uh, Texas A&M called mm-hmm. Callaloo. I'd never heard about it literary journal, all of that. So I went and the people, I it was the first time I was around writers where I, I said, we were all so different. We just happened to be people of color mostly, but our styles and upbringings we were all so different. But it, I, I promise you, it was as if all of the talent level was the same. It's very bizarre. So mm-hmm. everyone had their little magical uh, tricks and we all learned from each other. Uh, but one of the participants, uh, Rosanna, said, you should apply to Brooklyn College since you're in Brooklyn, and it's one of the top 25 MFA programs, and nobody really knows that, so it'd be good bang for your buck, and it was the one place that I applied, and I didn't even have the money for the application fee. I applied there. I ended up living in atlanta in the trap house basically mm-hmm. when i got the phone call from michael cunningham accepting me to brooklyn college he's like yeah this is i didn't know who he was at the <laughs> time yeah He's like hey this is michael cunningham uh we would like to offer you a position in brooklyn college you read you, whatever it was really good and i was like i didn't even give you the application fee he's like yeah it doesn't matter your writing's good like and then I Googled them. Oh <laughs> you shit! Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Bro, it was a magical trip. Uh, you know, education being enforced, but also the magic that allowed me to get my MFA was pretty special. Yeah, uh,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on the education track and talk about your for seven years you were the dean of students or a dean of students in new york city's department of education so education is still a part of your or was still a part of your life for a very long time it sounds yeah
1: yeah it depends on who you talk to you'll hear a whole different version of me sure Uh, but in the so i two weeks ago or three weeks ago i submitted my letter of resignation sorry uh Two weeks ago, I submitted my letter of resignation to the New York City Department of Education. I was running our internship program, work-based learning, helping students find jobs and connecting them with my network. It was just amazing. It was one of the best jobs. But uh, unfortunately, the environment became very toxic for uh, me. I'm not, you know, I don't think... uh, I don't need to get into the details, but essentially the work that I wanted to do and the boxes that needed to be checked by administration in the school yeah. were just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that was a full circle moment for me because I got to go back to the school where I started. The school that's depicted in Wings is the school that I was at. Um, prior to that, I was teaching English at uh, Martha's Vineyard Public Charter School for two years. And prior to that, I was teaching English at the marthas regional school mm-hmm. prior to that i and i was subbing there so it was another full circle moment and yeah i've been the dean of students basketball boys varsity basketball coach for many many years i said seven because i couldn't remember exactly sure. how many yeah. but i've been in the school community and working as a mentor since 2007 at school of the future which is a New York City public school in Gramercy. Uh, on top of that, I created a couple of nonprofits. Uh, one of which is kind of dormant. The other one, uh, Connective Inc. If you look up Connective Inc., you'll see a lot of amazing work being done. We have a basketball tournament on Martha's Vineyard in the youth camp. That's in its. Tw- It'll be the thirteenth year this year. Uh, and, uh sorry, it was the twelfth year this year. And so yeah, I stay connected with. I still do student power workshops, and a lot of the initiatives that we started uh, have produced just magical results. But I, I don't know how to brag about it all without sitting here talking for eight hours. But yeah, I stay connected in education. It's one of those things that keeps me honest, and it, and it. I think, especially now, with so much emphasis on. Uh, attention like every everything wants your attention now it's very important to connect with what will be our future to pay attention to that and the only real way you get to that i mean we have ideas and stuff but we don't uh, the, the 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 students and the youth they have a better sense of what that looks like so they keep me fresh they keep me in the loop uh, I give them as much game as I can. And, you know, we just build the strongest relationships we can. Because at the end of the day, when you're an educator, you, you end up spending more time with the students than their parents do. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's very important.
0: No, I agree. I It, it, it is wild that uh, you mentioned like work-based learning. Um, I, cur- I currently work for a nonprofit on my day job. And uh, yeah, it's all about career-connected learning internships no way yeah or apprenticeships i mean Uh, we actually have an office in new york that works with uh, so like i understand like you know the administration it's not big picture is it no it's called career wise but um but yeah so we we just had a anyway i won't talk about that but i agree it's like we need to start thinking about kids or teens young adults um and and realize the future that we thought was going to happen isn't and we need to reshape how we think and how we connect with 15 16 17 18 year olds because they are going to run this world one day as that much is. as we as much as uh, these old white men and women in congress think they're going to stay around forever they're yeah. not there's new voices yeah. coming you know so yeah
1: and we were and we were so off with so much that all you, all you have to do is just do a fair assessment of yourself you know mm-hmm. and say okay so How many of us nailed the advent of Instagram or, you know, uh, uh, open AI, you know, Uh, uh, is that your language? Do you even know what's going on? You know, Uh, Bitcoin, are you connected? Even the way like uh, students now have such a bizarre ability to feel through things that are fake and things that are authentic. And it's I keep trying to explain this to my OGs. Like you don't understand. They can tell in like a moment's notice whether something is worth pursuing for them or not. This is high level stuff. And of course, they're missing out on um last year. I ended up coaching basketball again. I said, I'm never going to coach basketball. Again. I will not. And man, it they brought me through the ringer because. The senior, our seniors that graduated, uh, I keep saying last year, but it's this year, academic last academic year.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our
1: seniors that graduated were freshmen when the pandemic started. Yeah. There's so many valuable lessons in just how we are uh, um, pivoting from the pandemic, let alone, you know, them, because we had two completely different pandemics. For us, it was like, you might die, Remember going to the grocery store yeah. with like hockey pads on and yeah, <laughs> yeah. full on everything. You know, yeah, I'll never forget having to confess <laughs> to my partner that I, I hugged another person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like you might die because of it. I, I hugged somebody. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it turned out she hugged somebody that same day yeah. as well. But, yeah. um. But for so that, that was our pandemic experience for them, they would just hold up in because remember, it wasn't that dangerous, so yeah. they were just bored out of their minds, disconnected from socializing, and addicted to their phones. So, yeah. just to be frank with you, one of the straws that broke the camel's back with me sending them my letter of resignation is our school started a policy of um, like jailing phones, so you put them in these pouches, like concert pouches. Yeah. And I didn't know the toll I would take on me. And I knew it was, you know, for the better in the long run. But just the enforcing of it and uh, it just it was so gross. And it's like, I don't think that's how you should deal with addicts. And like, I can't I know I'm addicted to my phone, so I can only imagine if I was pulled up in my room freshman year with no other options. Yeah. You know, so uh, cold turkey is a lot to i, I don't it, it, no, it became, you, yeah yeah okay so you know what i mean it's like we think these kids are gonna
0: focus more if they're not on their phone but now they're thinking they're so distracted like where's my phone who's messaging me and it's like it, there, there's a fine balance we need to strike um i don't have yes. the answer because i'm not in education but.
1: well i mean the, the the conscious level is fine right we'll, we'll deal with what comes up consciously no problem it's the subconscious level that I'm worried about. Like, so for the first year, it might be great, you know, uh, barring the incidents that pop up, but what are we really telling them, you know, over time that, you know, we know what's best for you. And that's the, I I just don't, I don't believe that. Right. So. It's just, it was something that it just kept weighing in on me. And I thought, this feels more like jail than anything. I never yeah. want them to feel like I'm their correctional officer. No offense mm-hmm. to
0: so, Yeah, for sure. And yeah. as you're dealing with all this in your life, uh, in the education field, your nonprofits, that's when you're writing uh, Wings. And uh, what was that like balancing? Like you were going from this day job that makes you think x y and z and then
1: like switching into creative mode yeah uh, it all kind of since wings takes place at the same school and there's Mm -hmm. the same cat like hollywood i would hollywood is i just got off the phone with him and so we're just very much in each other's lives anyway Mm -hmm. so it's just it 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 was a, a bit trippy to experience so much loss though and then to go back to Wings, I'm like, oh, geez, a lot of these characters aren't even here anymore. Uh, so that was more trippy. But the education space, it it, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't that difficult to navigate. Yeah. I would say in life, though, being a creative, especially when you're, uh, I would say young and Black, but Black is very bizarre. Um, there's just something that happens where, you know if i was cuz i still play a lot of basketball and i dabbled in music and stuff like that but literature is so unique in the black community that it's hard to unless it's something that's like i hate to call it cliche but unless you're tackling one of the big like oh somebody's oppressing me or um you know it, it i guess it is the 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 black tropes the cliches and unless you're focused on those it's hard to even make like a to make a a ripple in what's going on because attention is so focused elsewhere yeah. you know so
0: yeah I, it, I i feel you on that um being a creative now so i talk about this a lot with my musician friends uh like it's easier to do it like there's more resources now than ever, but to do it well takes time mm-hmm. and practice. Still, just because you can do it doesn't mean you're it's worth doing, or you're good at it instantly, or you have to. Your voice needs to be a certain uh, point of view to get a get noticed. Sometimes, and it's like a game. Sure. Skill, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, there's it's all there's still it's still a the business side of things is so interesting.
1: Yeah, um, it's a very much a game, and it's like I refuse to play off rip. So I know that I'm going to I'm going to write a whatever I produce, it will connect with the people who need to know this story anyways. Yeah. And the rest that that will be its legacy is that it will do some healing. It will do some loving it will do. They'll be able to at the very least see themselves and anyone who's interested in truth and knowledge itself they'll get the gems because there's a lot of gems in there that, uh you know, I wrote a, the work that I wrote before Wings. I was I had this moment on the bus when Wings is, you know, uh Mensa agreed to pick it up. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, wait, what if my previous work was trash and I just thought it was good? Uh I, I don't know what you call that. But so I just on the bus, I read like the first 30 or 40 pages and it became clear to me that I actually was doing something special because it was, it felt not that it was better, but it was, it, it it communicated a truth that lasted more so than the story. It was the way it was like the tone, like you said, the honesty or the tone or whatever that I was communicating with. It felt healing to me and I wrote it, you know? So I'm sitting there like, Oh, this is, oh okay we're good because yeah we're okay
0: (laughs) for sure and i'll end with this um you know people are going to start connecting with you the book's out uh messaging you finding you what's one thing you want everyone to know about the book whether it's you know a kid reading it a former coworker, some random white guy from denver interviewing you on a podcast what uh like what do you hope people walk away from when they close wings of red
1: To be honest, Wings of Red is a conversation starter, and it's a place where if you're interested in cutting out the bullshit, excuse my French, Mm -mm. and actually dealing with people and their hearts and truth, you know, that's where Wings of Red, the title comes from uh June is just getting smashed and he has his hopes up and then he gets smashed again and he does something desperate and doesn't work out and he doesn't know what he's doing it's towards the end and he coaches up this young woman who's on the basketball court and she's got a scar and just this kind of passion that he can he sees her you know what what she's doing on the court is expressing something that he knows the language right and she actually, she suggests that homework should be illegal, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" Because he told her, you know, make sure you get good grades. If if you want to be a student athlete, you got to get good grades as a student athlete. And she mm-hmm. convinced him that homework should be illegal by saying, "When I go home, I don't I don't have a quiet space that I can go to, so." when you tell me to go home for 2 hours and work like that's just that's not equitable that's crazy that that makes no sense like where am i i'm supposed to go to the library and so he's yeah. he's like oh my god this this kid she just convinced me homework is inequitable right so he's on a bench and he he's dealing with his life and really, and he says a prayer for her and he he's not even religious like that but he prays that she faces her greatest fears and adversity and flies it not away from them but into it and towards them until her wings burn forever red so it's just like having this optimism for or maybe not optimism but having this well-wishing heartfelt passion for good people to endure and to carry on conversations that actually matter and it's a cry for like their attention because it's so easy to look at everything else but Know yourself first. Know your truth. You know, so that's wings is about me knowing myself, and part of that is I got lucky. I was raised by, around people who care and who love, who are willing to spread love at, at cost. So that's what wings is.
0: Thank you so much to James W. Jennings for coming on the Day Beautiful podcast to discuss his debut novel, Wings of Red. You can find him on Instagram at James W. Jennings. And you can learn more about his nonprofit at connectiveinc.org. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.